Thank you, Brother Buxton, and please remain standing for the reading of the Bible momentarily. What an honor for me to once again stand before the National Summit of the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship. I want to give honor to the great men of God that sit and serve on the Executive Council. And I want to be the first to welcome, as the newest member of our council, Brother Ron Tiller. Likewise, I want... I want to give honor to the general counsel. God bless you, wonderful and faithful men that serve on the general counsel. To every chairperson of every department in the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, God bless you for your faithfulness and for your labor. Thank you, Brother Rick Treese and the Conquerors Quartet. What a great job they did singing tonight. And that's by my personal and special request that they sung tonight. Over the years, my wife and I have never felt like that we needed to do these things publicly. But tonight being my last opportunity to speak, perhaps at the summit ever, I want to give honor to my wife of almost 50 years, Sister Ramona. I love and care for you very much. And we have a good number of our church friends and church members that have driven up from Decatur to be with their pastor tonight. And you wonderful people, I give honor to you. Thank you for coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your Bibles with my Bible to the Old Testament and also to the New Testament. I'll be reading from four books, the book of Numbers, the book of Leviticus, the book of Mark, and the book of Matthew. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19, Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, Mark chapter 9, and Matthew chapter 5. I don't know if he's listening tonight or not, but I want to go on record by also saying I love and appreciate our past chairman who was absent tonight, and I do indeed miss his presence from Gina, Louisiana, Brother Crawford Coon. If you're ready for the Bible message, say read. Numbers 18 and verse 19. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. Would you say a covenant of salt? Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. Let's take a quick scriptural insight of the, of the Israelites implementing the covenant of salt in this one verse. The 13th verse of Leviticus chapter 2. And every oblation or offering of thy meat offering shalt Thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt 
of the covenant of the Lord thy God, if you please, to be lacking from thy meat offering with all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. Would you say the salt covenant? Mark chapter 9. Two quick versions of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. Beginning in the 49th verse, two verses. In Mark's version of that sermon, and that part that related to salt, he writes, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. And finally, the 13th verse of Matthew chapter 5, the sermon that we have titled, The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. In the Old Testament, it is precisely called the salt covenant in the new testament and especially in the version of mark's sermon on the mount jesus said have salt in yourselves and if god will help me tonight to preach to this audience i will deliver my soul with this message when the salt covenant became the salt commandment and it was a covenant from god to israel that all offerings should not be offered to the Lord without salt. Jesus looked at the twelve. The twelve delivered the message to the audience. We apply it to our life today. Have salt within yourself. But his warning is echoing in my heart. If salt loses its seasoning or its savor, it can never get it back. And I hope I can relate to this audience tonight that there's many things in our doctrines and the gospel that we preach that we need to guard with our life that we never lose it. The fatalities are growing practically every day where apostolic preachers and apostolic churches have decided to lose the salt of this wonderful doctrine. I'm an optimist and I hope that those that go into apostasy will find their way back. Jesus' words can never be questioned. And he emphatically said, if you lose the salt... You're good for nothing. You're to be cast out. 
and you're to be trodden under the foot of men. When the salt covenant became the salt commandment, you may be seated. The Sermon on the Mount lasted 2,441 words. Speech and verbal experts teach us that the average human being can speak 125 words on the average per minute. Probably the recordings of Matthew in chapter 5, 6, and 7 which is the complete Sermon on the Mount, it is probably a synopsis of the whole sermon that Jesus preached. But if indeed those 2,441 words represent the complete sermon, and if he spoke an average of 125 words a minute, this sermon was started... And this sermon was finished in just under 20 minutes. It is considered by the experts to be the absolute greatest speech that was ever given and the greatest speech that was ever heard. Recently, I did a research and a study of the greatest speeches ever delivered by Man, on that list would be Socrates of his renowned historical speech known as the Apology. Then there was Demosthenes who gave the funeral oration to his fallen comrades of ancient Athens. The Roman senator Cicero gave one of the great speeches ever given. More in modern times, the general and then the first president of the United States, George Washington's farewell speech to the Continental Army ranks in the top five speeches ever given. Abraham Lincoln qualifies two of the greatest. His second inaugural address but we know him more for his Gettysburg Address. Former President Theodore Roosevelt lays claim to four of the greatest speeches ever given. Former President FDR Franklin Delano Roosevelt lays claim to two of the greatest speeches ever given. And the most popular of the two was his speech to America on December the 8th, 1941, after the attack of Pearl Harbor, General Douglas MacArthur lays claim to three of the greatest speeches ever heard. The most famous of all is when he retired his command and he retired from the military. His speech was entitled, Old soldiers, they don't die. Old soldiers just fade away. President Dwight Eisenhower made one of the greatest. 
John F. Kennedy made two of the greatest. His first inauguration speech and his second in Houston, Texas. When he challenged America to the new frontier, the frontier of space. The baseball player Lou Gehrig's speech, his farewell speech to the New York Yankees. And Major League Baseball is one of the greatest. The Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech is one of the top 35 ever given. And standing before the Commonwealth of Virginia, just prior to the revolutionary conflict with King George and the Redcoats of England, the fiery red-headed Irishman stood and said, Give me liberty or give me death. His name was Patrick Henry. Ronald Reagan gave two of the greatest speeches ever given. And the most famous of all was the day of the explosion of spaceship Challenger shortly after liftoff, Cape Canaveral or Cape Kennedy, Florida. Great speeches have a special style. Great speeches are masterfully constructed. All great speeches have substance. And all great speeches have a worthy theme. All great speeches present values and new ideas. All great speeches always impact the listener or the listeners. All great speeches are persuasive. And all great speeches change the thinking and the conduct of men. Even atheists and agnostics who do not sympathize with Jesus Christ or Christianity gave this Galilean the credit of making the greatest speech that the world has ever known. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. There's various theories about this speech. There's some that teach that the Sermon on the Mount was strictly for the 12 apostles. Then there's others a bit more generous that say that the Sermon on the Mount was for only the audience that was on the Mount with him. If indeed theory number one and theory number two are correct, then we can argue that the entire book of Romans is only for the church at Rome. We can argue that the entire books of first and second Corinthians was just for the Corinthians. I would submit to you for you to consider and then to agree with me. That the Sermon on the Mount was for then, and it is for now. Jesus covered numerous topics and subjects in the speech called the Sermon on the Mount. He warned against anger and murder. He warned against lust and idolatry and fornication. He warned against divorce. And remarriage. And he taught 
an eye for an eye. And he revolutionized the thinking of the Hebrews when he said, love your enemies. Go the second mile. Give both of your garments, your coat and your cloak likewise. In this speech, Jesus said, give to those that are less fortunate. Give to the needy. He introduced prayer, but prayer in the proper way. And he introduced fasting, but fasting in the proper way. He warned, lay not up for yourselves treasures in this earth where rust and moth doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus taught that worrying is useless. He taught not to judge hypocritically. Don't try to dig a small grain of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye when you have a four by four beam in your own eye. He's excited us with that part of the sermon when he taught, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. He taught about the choices of two eternal ways to travel. The wide and the broad way that leads to destruction. But the narrow way that leads to life. He also warned about following false prophets. And he closed his sermon with the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builders. I have not come to be a representative of trying to improve on public speaking, but to the men that have the call to preach the gospel on your life. Flim, flam, preaching is not going to get the job done in 2014. Nonchalant preaching is not going to move our churches. It's not going to bring conviction to the sinner. It's not going to lift the church in joyous ecstasy. I challenge every preacher here tonight, have a peculiar style when it comes to preaching. Preach Jesus. Masterfully conduct your sermons and preach Jesus. Have substance and preach Jesus. Have a worthy theme and preach Jesus. Preach something that will appeal to men. Preach Jesus. Impact your audience. Preach Jesus. Be persuasive. Preach Jesus. Change the conduct and the minds of men. And preach Jesus. The writer, the apostle wrote and said, I have determined to know nothing else among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's perfectly fine by me if you sit quietly. I'm going to preach my hour if you shout or if you sit there. 
But I would submit to you that preaching Jesus will still convict the sinner. Preaching Jesus will still build faith. Preaching Jesus will cast out evil spirits. Preaching Jesus will fill an altar. Preaching Jesus will fill a baptistry with baptismal candidates. Preaching Jesus will fill a church house. Preaching Jesus will fill a prayer room. Preaching Jesus will fill your musicians. Preaching Jesus will fill your worship leaders. Preaching Jesus will fill the hearts of all of your listeners. You seem to want to worship? Let's do it first class then. And you may be seated. If indeed the statisticians are correct, and if the sermon lasted 2,441 words, and was started and finished in 20 minutes, one little verse that has 39 words in it, in Matthew 5 and 13, represents only about 15 seconds of the entire sermon. Those 39 words represent only 1.5% of the total time that Jesus spent preaching. It's almost as if he might have just slipped it in there and to see who would pay attention. But he said to the 12, and he said to perhaps the audience of thousands that was on the sermon or on the mount, And he's saying to a nice audience on first night of summit, Ye are the salt of the earth. Fifteen seconds, thirty-nine words, one point five percent of the entire sermon. But I'm going to spend the next 50 minutes of my visit with you and I hope that I convince you that you're really the saving of this world. You're really the hope for North America. You're really the hope for continents around the world. You are the salt of the earth and have salt within yourself for if the salt loses its savor come on preacher don't lose the anointing come on worshipers don't lose your thrill and excitement to lift the name of Jesus come on hand clappers don't lose your zeal and zest to make a joyful noise unto the Lord You are the salt of the earth. The sixth taste of food. One is the sweet taste. Two is the sour taste. Three is the salty taste. Four is the bitter taste. Five is the pungent taste. And the sixth taste is the astringent taste. Christ has never told his church to be effeminate, passive, and really, really sweet. But he really did say, get some salt in you. 
Be seated. I come against you tonight with both barrels and full bore. The Bud Bolt Church is not a sour church. But it's a salty church. Be seated. Some of you are still living in the situations of your past. And you're filled with bitterness of what happened 20 and 30 years ago. Now that the church is not a bitter church. But it's a salty church. Jesus never said that we would be a pungent church. But he did say get some salt in you. Jesus never said that we would be an astringent church, but let's get some salt in you. I've done my best to find the perfect parallel of what salt really represents. And because I can't settle on one particular subject, Jesus just said, get it in you. So here I go with a lot of things. Get Jesus in you. Get the Holy Ghost in you. Get the one God message in you. Get holiness in you. Get worshiping Jesus in you. Get loving the Lord with all thine heart within you. Come on, we got time to shout a while. Oh, Jesus. I feel that Holy Ghost in his in this place tonight. Oh, Jesus. I want heaven to open its doors and take that heavenly salt shaker and shake the Holy Ghost down on this place. Take your pride off, sister. Take your pride off, brother. Shout unto the Lord in full of the Holy Ghost. Be seated. It's believed that there's over 14,000 usages of salt. Common usages for salt would be salt preserves. Salt endures extreme cold, and it's still salty. Salt endures extreme heat, and it's still salty. Salt granules have survived thousands of years. And it's still salty. Oh no, I'm not going to run by that one. The New Testament church has survived 2,000 years and she's still salty. Salt endures water and it's still salty. Salt endures fires and it's still salty. Salt can serve as a cleansing agent. Salt can stop decay and stop rot. Salt is a purifier. Salt is a neutralizer. Holy God, salt drives away bad odors. Salt is a medical agent. Salt fights infections. Salt destroys germs. Salt drives away pesky insects. Salt decontaminates. Don't look at me like that. I'm going to preach those notes twice. Holy Ghost is a cleansing agent. Holy Ghost stops decay and Holy Ghost stops rot. Holy Ghost is a purifier. Holy Ghost is a neutralizer. Holy Ghost drives away bad spirits. 
Holy Ghost is a spiritual medical agent. Holy Ghost fights spiritual infections. Holy Ghost destroys germs. Hey, we need that Holy Ghost. Be seated. Salt penetrates the un, the, the, the unpenetrable. Salt dissipates filth. Salt energizes the natural body. Salt enhances the flavor of food. Salt is a complement to whatever it touches. Salt sterilizes. Salt disinfects. For the natural human body, a good dose of salt will help you maintain a healthy immune system. Salt will help you fight colds, flus, and viruses. Salt fights asthma, allergies, and autoimmune disorders. Salt is an alkalizer, and salt can prevent life-threatening diseases. Salt reduces inflammation of the respiratory system. Salt can help the bending over of osteoporosis. Salt can help diabetes. This is the best one, but salt in your diet can help depression. And I want to love you Pentecostals tonight, but you don't need the latest version of some kind of drug to help you sleep and to help you live through the day. Get some salt in your heart. Get some Holy Ghost in your life. Somebody has asked, why is it that so many Pentecostals just sit at church and they don't worship and there's no response to them? The simple answer is this. They had not got no salt in their life. Some has asked me, why is there such a smelly spirit around some of our churches because of worldliness? Because there's no salt there. But I've come to tell you that salt will fight off sin. Hey, the Holy Ghost will fight off sin. The Holy Ghost will help you maintain a strong spiritual immunity system. A good dose of the Holy Ghost will keep your respiratory system clean and pure before God. A good dose of the Holy Ghost will straighten your spiritual osteoporosis and you can dance and shout and shout and dance. And those of you that live a life of depression, I put my 50 years of public preaching on the line when I tell you this, that one good old-fashioned baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire can take care of every burden, can take care of every worry, can take care of every nervous disorder. Let's shout unto the Lord. When the human body goes long with low blood sodium, symptoms that you need to watch out for, nausea, vomiting, convulsions, low blood sodium or salt in the body will lead to something greater than migraines, just untreatable headaches. Low sodium in your diet 
will bring you into mental confusion and disorientation. Low sodium or salt in your diet will increase your heart rate and elevate your pulse rate. Low sodium in your diet or low salt in your diet will cause you to be the loss of energy and fatigue. Low sodium, low salt, you will be restless, sleepless, and irritable. Low sodium in your diet will lead to muscle weakness, spasms, and cramps. Low blood sodium and little salt, Brother Tony, will lead to seizures, could lead you to a coma, and you will die with low levels of blood sodium. And I don't know who sold Pentecost a bill of goods that think that we can just get a pretty good little blessing about once a month or once a quarter. Every time you go to church, you ought to go with this mindset. It don't matter if anybody else shouts. I'm going to shout unto the Lord. I'm going to keep my Holy Ghost level where it needs to be. Come up here and help me, brother. Now, brother Spell, too. That's who I want. Come on, brother Tony. Sit up here. You're too valuable to sit out there. I've come to tell you that if you get some Holy Ghost in you, it'll take care of your spiritual fatigue and your spiritual lethargy. I'm submitting to you again, when you go to the house of God, you shouldn't be looking at the clock and wondering what time he's going to quit preaching. You want to throw the clock away and say, oh, man of God, give me some more salt. Every time there's a prayer line, you need to get yourself up there and say, I hadn't shouted and talked in tongues in a couple of days. I want some salt back down in my soul. And the longer that Pentecost goes without the Holy Ghost and our services, we're going to slowly but surely sink into a spiritual coma. And slowly but surely, we're going to die a spiritual death. Jesus said, have salt in yourself. Lose your wealth, but don't lose the Holy Ghost. Lose your fortune, but don't lose the name of Jesus. Lose your retirement, but don't lose your walk with God. Be seated. Salt will never lose its identity as being salt. Regardless of how hot it gets, how cold it gets, or how long it survives. But the only thing that can cause salt to lose its savor is to have a chemical reaction with an outside compound. And once it reacts with another chemical compound from the outside, salt begins to lose its savor. For salt to lose its savor, it begins a mixing 
for salt to lose its savor and its durability, it begins to chemically intertwine with a foreign substance. By itself, it can endure blistering temperatures of the hottest summer. By itself, it can endure the coldest temperatures of the coldest winters. It endures all elements. And by itself, salt is salt is salt. But when salt has a chemical reaction from an outside source, it begins to lose its identity. And I am concerned that many Pentecostals are thinking the way that we'll win the world is to let a little more world get inside our churches. You're going to lose your saltiness. Some pastors are thinking the way that I'll win my city, I'll quit preaching against television. I'll quit preaching against theaters. I'll quit preaching against going to ball games. Women cutting their hair. I just will believe it, but I won't let anybody know that I believe it. You're going to mix yourself with the outside if you're not careful. And you're going to look like the world. You're going to talk like the world. You're going to live like the world until finally you totally fall into worldliness. There's a reason why Paul said to the church of Corinth Be ye not equally yoked together With unbelievers For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness What communion hath light with darkness Now if there's ever a plan For there to be a resolution at National Summit that we let down on the Godhead preaching count me out there's still but one God if there's ever a resolution not to preach the essentiality of water baptism in Jesus name count me out what concord hath Christ with Belial what part hath the believer with an infidel what agreement hath the temple of God with idols in the Old Testament Moses wrote and preached the sermon called Deuteronomy in a very country boy fashion he said don't you dare yoke together an ox and an ass to plow in your vineyard and Jesus taught in the New Testament no man puts a piece of new cloth in an old garment nor do you put new wine in old old bottles there's just some things that just really not mix I recognize that separation is becoming less popular to modern Pentecostalism but I hear Joshua preach tonight choose you this day who you're going to serve I hear Elijah preaching tonight how long shall you halt between two opinions I've come to lead the church I've come to lead the march it's Jesus now it's Jesus tomorrow it's Jesus forever it's Holy Ghost now it's Holy Ghost tomorrow it's Holy Ghost forever it's Holy 
holiness now. It's holiness tomorrow. It's holiness forever. I feel like I can announce to the audience tonight that there's a band of oneness people at the summit in Gatlingburg, Tennessee. Hey, Elijah, there's still a few thousand that hasn't bowed down to Baal. I kind of promised myself that I was going to be at my best behavior tonight and I was going to make myself a slave of the pulpit and not do what I normally do when I feel what I'm feeling right now. But I'm going to tell you what, folks. I feel that fire of the Holy Ghost. My salt is awakening up. Jeremiah said it's like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. Well, go ahead, Brother Fort Lauderdale. Let's shout out to the Lord. Israel was commanded not to mix with Egypt. It was a dangerous mixture. Israel was commanded not to mix with Moab. It was a dangerous mixture. Israel was commanded not to mix with the Ammonites. It was a deadly mixture. Israel was commanded not to mix with the Philistines. It was a dangerous mixture. Israel was commanded not to mix with Edom. It was a deadly mixture. Israel didn't find a home in the 70 exilic years in Babylon. But they hung their harps on the willow when they remembered Zion. They just never did fit in. (laughs) 
I've come to tell you that Christ and Antichrist, they don't mix. I've come to tell you that salvation and sin, it doesn't mix. I've come to tell you that spirituality and carnality, it doesn't mix. I've come to tell you that spiritual worship and formality and Pentecost, it doesn't mix. Humility doesn't mix with pride. Truth doesn't mix with false doctrine. The Bible doesn't mix with the Islamic Quran. Christianity does not mix with idolatry. Life in Christ does not mix with the trespasses of sin. But rather, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. The introduction is over. Sit down. It's time to preach. In the Old Testament covenant, it was get the salt on the outside. In the Old Testament covenant, it was rub the meat offering down with salt. Before the heave offerings would be offered with all the ingredients therein, don't forget... Put the salt in it. Uh, when the meal offerings were offered in the old covenant, don't forget to put the salt in. The Old Testament emphasized getting the salt on the outside. Rub it down. Take care of the germs on the outside. Rub it down. Disinfect it on the outside. Rub it down, sanitize it on the outside. But the Old Testament covenant of the book of Numbers and Leviticus and points beyond in the Old Testament, when the book of Malachi said it's finally men, the dawning of a new day, the dawning of another never seen before ministry. Here comes an evangelist off of the watered shores of Galilee, raising the dead, open blinded eyes, unstopping deaf ears, emptying graveyards, closing down leper colonies. He looked at an audience one day. He said, I'm only going to use 39 words in this 2,440 word sermon of yours. But 39 words is this. You're the salt of the earth. Don't lose the salt. For if the salt loses its seasoning or its vapor, it'll never get it back again. I'm going to say something. Sit down. If you're considering apostatizing your ministry, thinking you're going to win the world you're going to lose your ministry if you think you can prostitute the gospel to win the loss you're going to lose your own soul you don't take the salt out you don't take the Holy Ghost out you don't take the name of Jesus out you don't take holiness standards out you don't take spiritual worship out you lose
Oh, come on. Clap them. Clap them with salt. Oh, come on. Shout with salt. But when the New Testament came, it was no longer a covenant. It became more than just a recommendation. It came more than just a multiple choice. And it became more than just a suggestion. Jesus emphatically said, get the salt in you. While I'm not de-emphasizing holiness standards on the outside, your outside adornment or the lack thereof doesn't prove a lot to me. But give me a man and a woman and a boy and a girl that's got the salt of the Holy Ghost on the inside. Don't even worry about it. It's going to be seen on the outside. I'm just going to make a statement and I'm not doing anything but preaching to the worldwide Pentecostal fellowship. You parents wouldn't bring homosexuals in your living room to visit with your sons and your daughters. You wouldn't bring lesbians into your house to visit with your sons and your daughters. You wouldn't bring gamblers and fighters and brawlers and drunkards and alcoholics and sots and curses in your house and talk to your children. Oh, you have more love for your family. But the minute you bring that television in your house and cable vision and satellite vision you're bringing homosexuality lesbianism alcoholism drug addiction filthy talk it's all coming in one package if you get the salt in your house the holy ghost will be sure the television will leave your house it salty do it salty God almighty folks I'm not preaching about the latest Walt Disney production I'm preaching about heaven on earth Jesus said get the salt in you I love you very much, but slowing down the tempo perhaps for just a moment, it's time to get Isaiah 43 and 10 in us. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be a God formed after me. Get it in you. He's the only God. It's time to get it in you. Isaiah 44 and 6. I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. It's time to get it in you, apostolic. Isaiah 44 and 8. 
Is there a God beside me, goddess? Yeah, there's no God. And he's an all-wise God. And he said, I don't know if there's one out there or not. It's time to get it in you. You've heard it preached before, but it's my time to preach it tonight. Christ Jesus is not the second personality in a trinity theory of the Godhead. But I would submit to you that in Christ Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Philip, have I been so long time with you and thou hast not known me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and my Father are one. I have come in my Father's name. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Get it in you. It's God with us. Are you wavering on water baptism in Jesus' name? I would to God I had a salt shaker as big as Texas right now. You got to get it in you, friend. And he said unto them, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You got to get it in you. Philip preached and he practiced baptism in the name of the Lord to the Samaritans. You got to get it in you. Peter preached to the household of Cornelius. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 19 and 5. You've got to get it inside you. And Paul baptized those 12 disciples of John the Baptist in the name of Jesus Christ. And finally you've got to get it in you. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to come to the defense of the New Testament church. Not that I'm its defense lawyer. But this church is under attack on every side. The Trinitarians are fighting us. The Islamists are fighting us. The infidels are fighting us. The agnostics are fighting us. The atheists are fighting us. And you better listen to the preacher tonight. I know that Christianity in general is under an attack in America today. But they're going to narrow the playing field pretty soon. And they're going to come after those Jesus name people. They're going to come after those holiness people. And if you're going to take a stand in that day, you better get some salt in you. Because it's going to take somebody that's got a backbone and a willpower that will not compromise. Paul writes the church in, in, in Ephesus chapter 5. And how beautifully he said that that church will not have a spot. And that word spot, Brother Rick Treese, is taken from the Greek, spilos. And spilos means that that church will have no stains. That church will have no tarnishes. That church will have no blemishes. That church will have no disgraces. And you may be worldly and you may dress worldly, but we don't need the glamour.
of Hollywood to make the church of Jesus a beautiful church. Okay, this is my last time. Let's go with it. We don't need to be decker with jewels and gold and ornaments for her to be attractive. We don't need to pierce her and tattoo her for her to be looked upon. She's a church without spot, without a tarnish, without a blemish, without a disgrace, without a blame, without a fault. It's a holy church. It's a godly church. It's the church that Jesus built. And he prophesied and said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. I'm all for love. I'm all for love. I'm all for love. I'm all for love. But when you offer the grain offering in the Old Testament under the salt covenant, you didn't put leaven in it and you didn't put honey in it. Leaven is a type of sin. And you can't drag your old carnal self to church thinking filthy, talking filthy, dressing ungodly, going to places you shouldn't go to and come and throw that into your worship at church. It don't mix. Be seated. Don't put honey in the grain offering. You can bring your syrupy, false love to church and be passive and wiggle around if you want to. But when it comes to a heave offering, keep the sin out of it. Keep worldliness out of it. Keep the cares out of it. And keep all this false sugary honey, false love out of it. But Jesus said, don't put leaven in it, but put some salt in it. Don't put honey in it, but put some salt in it. We haven't had a breakthrough here tonight but I'm going to say something to you it's about time for you to turn loose and shout unto the Lord and fill this house with the worship pure unto the Lord I love the little old song and jingle that says, I feel a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. But to deal with coming crises against the Jesus name church, your syrupy, sugary, honey experience is not going to take a stand. I want you to get some salt in you. When Satan comes and gets you like a flood, get some salt in you. When the devil says you're sick and you're going to die and not live, get some salt in you. When you lose your job and you go financially bankrupt, get some salt in you. When all hell breaks loose and everything is going backwards, get some salt in you. I'm looking for some Pentecostals that are not going to give in. I'm looking for some Pentecostals that are not going to give up.
Once upon a time in my ministry, as a pastor, I occasionally had to deal with a few bad attitudes. Occasionally, I had to deal with a few bad spirits. And you know something, I'm just going to scan the audience, but there's some here tonight that's very unhappy with my salty preaching. And if you'd smile, I would quit sooner. But the more you frown, the longer I'm going to preach. You don't intimidate me. Sit there, cross your arms and cross your legs and look at your watch. But you need a good dose of the salty Holy Ghost. In my ministry, occasionally I had to deal with a few. Oh, brother, he brought me some salt. Throw it. Throw it. Shake that salt. Shake that. I think I want to shake me first. Woo! Brother Borders, I said, Wow! <laughs> Feel that Holy Ghost down in me. Am, am, am I to hold it? Am I to eat it? Or am I to sling it? There it is. Right. There it is. There it is. Pour out the Holy Ghost in this house like that. Let it fall like rain from heaven. Just don't let her run by herself.
Get all you want. I'll, I'll finish in a few minutes. Come on, get all you want. I'll preach again in a few minutes. Please return to your chairs. I got some things that heaven wants me to say. I got some things hell don't want me to say. And I got some things that the Pentecostals of the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship needs to hear me say. But I'm going to tell you, anytime you want to flip out and run and jump and shout, flip out. We'll stop and do it again. There's a lot of salt in the house right now. Oh, my God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. In years gone by, we had a little bit of women trimming their hair. In years gone by, we had a little bit of people getting a television and slipping around. But anymore, times have changed. We're now dealing with same-sex marriages. We're now dealing with the transgender generation. We're now dealing with sex changes that are being told it's the normal and the right thing to do. If that's your choice to do it. My America is corrupt. My nation has lost its way. But as long as the church is in the earth, you're the salt of the earth. There's hope for this nation if the church don't lose its savor. There's hope for a mighty harvest revival, not only in Africa and Asia and Europe and Australia, South America, but there's a revival in North America. But we're not going to get the job done with honey, and we're not going to get the job done with leaven. It's time to preach against sin and call sin by name. It's time to command our people to touch not the unclean thing. For behold, saith the Lord, look upon me, for I am he that walketh in the midst of the candlestick. Yea, my face is like the sun in its brilliance. My hair is white like wool. Mine eyes are like flaming fire. Out of my mouth cometh a sharp two-edged sword. I hold in my right hand the seven stars. I'm clothed with a garment down to the foot. My feet are like fine brass. It's not going to be you doing the job but Christ is going to come to us and fight the battle and defeat the enemy for us religious pluralism is becoming the death knell for too many Pentecostals we're trying to embrace false doctrines and false ideas and theories. They're telling me from the expert 
uh, Institute in Denver, Colorado, that the greatest issues facing Christendom in North America today is number one, the lack of prayer. Number two, the lack of leadership. Number, I want to stop there. I want to tell everybody here tonight, look on this, look on this stage with me. These are godly men. These are holy men of God. These are men that understand the signs of the time. These are men that's got the voice of the Lord. One thing that I find safety in is that I'm serving men that understand leadership and they become leaders for us. Come on, saint of God, follow your pastor. Come on, saint of God, follow the ministry. Come on, everybody, let us follow Jesus. Christians are becoming less literate, less theologically minded. They're now questioning if the Bible is authentic and if the Bible is accurate. Wasting valuable energy arguing which translation is wrong and which translation is right. I just thank God for the Bible. I thank God for the contents of the Bible. It's 66 books written by some 40 authors. But in Genesis, you will find that Christ is still the creator. In Exodus, you will find he's still the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, you will find he's the high priest and the slain lamb. In Numbers, you'll find him as the high and lifted up one. And in Deuteronomy, you'll find him as the royal law. In Matthew, he's the king in Mark he's the man in Luke he's the servant in John he's divine in the book of Revelation he's the eternal millennium I take honor to make a public announcement I've got it in me Christ is king Christ is savior Christ is master Come up to the keyboard and they'll think I'm quitting. Salt. 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 39 words. 1.5% of the whole sermon. 15 seconds maximum. It's almost as he just slipped it in there. Was anybody paying attention? The old covenant... It was all on the exterior. The new commandment. Get it inside you. And you know, I, I guess I really am here to split theological hairs. I got enough boldness on me right now to split anything, I think. But if you think that you can live for God without the Holy Ghost, the devil will lie to you about something else. If you think you can be an overcomer without the authority in the name of Jesus, the devil will lie to you about something else. You can't make it without the name. You can't make it without the spirit. You can't make it without the name. You can't make it without the spirit. You can't make it without the name. You can't make it without the spirit. You got to get it in you. We have entered into the day of the apostolic movement that mothers and dads would wish the pastor would not preach prophecy 
preach out of Daniel, Zechariah, portions of Ezekiel, the 24th chapter of Matthew, and especially that dreaded mysterious book called the book of Revelation. It alarms my children, and it also makes them have nightmares. And whatever you do, pastor, don't preach against sin the way that you do, because it confuses my children. And we're getting ourselves painted into a proverbial corner. We can't preach this because it offends somebody. We can't preach that because it'll scare somebody. But I remember the day when the old preachers staggered out of a tongue-talking prayer room, and they preached against sin, and the altars filled up. I remember when the old men of God preached the coming of the Lord and the altars filled up. I'm not living in yesteryear, but I've come to tell you that if it worked then, it'll work tonight. If it was salt then, it is salt now. Come on, preacher. Go find a preacher friend. Come on, preacher. Go find a preacher friend and bring him to the front with you. Come on, preacher. Bring a preacher to the front with you. Salt. 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 Come on, preacher. Make up your mind tonight. Don't lose the salt. Church member.